you've got all these new problems and they're brand new and you've never experienced them before and your emotional life is is not ready you know my emotional life is not ready for lids well well <laughs> lids are just one aspect of a much larger issue Diane that has to do with the fact that we're uh, we're geezers we're geezers we got to accept it you know? <laughs> don't you think I'm not a geezer I'm a crone oh I'm sorry I'm a geezer, you're a crone, okay. I'm now using that as my as my reference. I see. Not geezer. Not geezer? Okay. All right. You know, I had a cronian ceremony, after I all. I did. I've never had a geezering ceremony. I should probably arrange that. You've got to arrange it with some folks. Yeah, I'm going to get right on that. It's 8.54 a.m. Saturday, October the 2nd, 2021. I'm Bill. I'm Diane. It's the Bill and Diane. I was doomed right out of the gate. I think I held held the too long. Diane didn't give me enough. Did you recognize my Morse code? No. Oh, Star Trek. No. <laughs> I thought it was this fight music from Star Trek. <laughs> that wasn't no, it. No. Oh, it I'm was sorry. SOS. Save our ship. Well, wait a minute. I didn't That's, hear SOS in there. It's. That's what it is. I know because... It's, da- it's dot, 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 dash, 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 dot, dot, dot. That's it. That's yeah. the only Morse code I know. My dad was a radio communications um, guy in, in the Navy, in the Navy yeah. during World War II. And, and he, he knew Morse code and also knew the flags. Sem- semaphore. The semaphore. Yeah. So he used to We had say, to learn that stuff in the Boy Scouts. Yeah, he used to say goodbye to us in semaphore when we'd be leaving. Leaving he'd for be school. Just doing the, he didn't do it with flags, but he'd just do it with his arms, you know. Your dad sounds like a goofball. He was a wonderful goofball. My dad was a wonderful goofball, too. My dad used to do a performance in the kitchen window every day when we left for school. A performance of... Just doing something stupid, you know, making some kind of weird face, waving funny, going downstairs, you know, disappearing out of the, you know, doing all kinds of, Marion and I would be standing out in the alley looking up at Dad in the window every day. If Dad's got to do his thing, you know, we'd turn around, Dad would do his thing. <laughs> but it was fun. Well, yeah. I'm sure grateful to your dad for making you a marvelous goofball. Well, I think my mom had something to do with that, too. I think you've learned that, you know. I definitely have learned that. I think the more cerebral things came from my mom. My dad was more the physical comic. And with the faces and stuff. Well, it's a pretty nice combination in you. Well, thank you. I'm here all week. I got myself a cup of coffee here, and I'm going to take me a sip. <laughs> thank, you. thank you very much. Tip your waiter on the way out. Yeah, ham and eggs. Anyway, Diane, we got the, we got the heat on. We do. Which is always a good sign. You know, when the AC goes off, I think that's that's a that's a, a moment of uplift for me. 
because it means the cooler weather is here. Normally, that would be enough. Currently, nothing's quite enough. Yeah. yeah. But uh, we're working on it. We're working on it. It's just kind of one of those long game, kind of senior citizen types of uh, maladies that, uh, you know, you have to go to six different docks before anybody's, oh, well, maybe it's your caniblicate that's, uh, you know, distended. I got a distended caniblicate, Diane. Is this part of the hectic week in Lake Amphetamine, Bill? We're getting to it. Come on, I'm on a roll here. This I just, like, I just remember. There's got to be a, a buildup. Yeah, some weeks it's I extend. Pardon me, I'm gonna have another drink of coffee. Well, the one time open. we did it and you said I never said. You boy. Oh really? That's good coffee. Yeah. You didn't want me to forget. Oh, I didn't I, want I, you to I forget. Had it. I had it. I you had it I in had your it. head. It was. A, it was, was there. I was moving in that direction, and now you've <laughs> kind of interrupted my flow. So all I can say is. I'm sorry. It's been a hectic week here in Lake Amphetamine, ladies and gentlemen, as per usual. And Diane is here to tell us all about it. Over to you. No, I wasn't meaning for you to throw it over to me. I just Well, that's make usually sure. the result of the hectic yeah. week in Lake Amphetamine. Though. Okay. Okay. Yes. The <laughs> this is... It's been a hectic week. This is the second day of October, and October is my favorite month. Ah, I think it's a lot of people's. I know it's Tim's favorite month, too. It's probably my favorite month, too, although, you know, I have to have some loyalty to February, which is, you know, the dead, <laughs> you know, that's the very definition of the dead of winter. <laughs> I had to be born in the dead of winter. <laughs> Interestingly, yes. I learned about... Oh, yeah. October. Right. Um, what is it? That's so interesting. There only used to be 10 months. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure exactly how that worked. Oh, there was the old calendar had yeah. 10 months in it. And then what's his name? The One of the Caesars entered, you know, threw in June and July. Yeah. Well, they were I, all... I still remain, um, my jury remains out until I do more investigation into calendars, which I am now going to do. But you got to see, you know, I mean, yeah. uh, you know, all the other months... Reference numbers, except for June and July, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, you know, you know, I think about it in terms of Spanish, you know. It's like, uh, you know... Uh, Wait a minute, what about March? What about, what about April? Do they reference numbers? Sure they do. I don't know. I, I don't know, okay, all right. Maybe there I, only used I to remain... Be, maybe there only used to be eight months. I remain curious about calendars. And the reason why that I'm curious about calendars now is that when I was, uh, I was thinking about October and um, I have been writing in a notebook as, as Bill's habit because it was an assignment in a book that I'm using, The Artist's Way. And it has just been absolutely... Uh, well, you're certainly filling up that notebook a lot faster than I fill my notebook up. Oh, yes. well. However, I'm, I'm I'm lucky to be one page a day, guy. Well, they uh, the the artist way prescription is, is to do three pages a day, and I have had no problem with doing that. Um, but one of the things I found that I that happens as I start really thinking about my thoughts, which. Uh, I think sometimes we are not able to do because we're just on to the next task of life. But 
uh, during this time, I said, October, I wonder where that the name of October comes from, because I always knew that octo is eight in Latin. And I thought, so it kind of set up a conundrum in my head. Wait a minute, eight, but we're at the 10th month. How could that be? And, and, uh, and so I actually remembered to, <laughs> instead of just letting the tasks of my day interfere entirely, at the end of my day, I actually looked up the, the word. The etymology. And um, I have access to the oh. online etymology dictionary of the Oxford English oh, etymology. Well, I see. And I, I'm so fascinated with the roots of words and where they, where words come from. Um, a habit I attribute to my mom because my mom really loved to look up the roots of words and and how things she was a look it up parent she was definitely she'd always say if we had any questions she'd always say look it up so yes i did look it up remember the days of the encyclopedia i do we had the encyclopedia britannica we had the world book in our house but anyway what it said was the eighth month of the old roman calendar pre-46 bce which began the year of March uh, began the year in March so they used to have the beginning of the year in March the burr in four Latin month names is probably from bris an adjectival suffix Tucker thinks that the first five months were named for their positions in the agricultural cycle and after the gathering in of the crops the months were merely numbered but my favorite part was that it said, replaced Old English Winterfell. Uh-huh. And uh, the word lores tell that this month was called that in the Anglo-Saxon because it contains the first full moon of winter. And I just, as my romantic self, just reveled in the thought that I was born in the month of Winterfell. And I was thinking, I am definitely thinking about that from now on. Winterfell. Winterfell. I love that. wonder what they called February. (laughs) (laughs) I I will research this because these are the sorts of things that really turn my key. I don't know why. I just get some such joy from researching things and... Finding out these little gems of wisdom. But there's nothing romantic about February, about you know its origins and what it means. I don't know. Yes. I don't know. Well, now I'm gonna look it up right now. What oh, fine. February fine. is great. Fine. Be that way. Sure. Neat. Special. Perfect. Beautiful. I already know that January is Janus. The but I don't know the origins of February. The month following January, late 14th century, ultimately from the Latin Februarius Mensis, month of purification. From February, February to purify, from February, purification's expi- expi- 
expiatory rites. Expiatory, is that how you pronounce that? Sure, why not? Which is of uncertain origin, said to be a Sabin word. Divan says from Proto-Italic, from pie word meaning the smoking or the burning, the sense then could either be purification by smoke or a burnt offering. The last month of the ancient Roman calendar is so named in reference to the Roman Feast of Purification held on the Ides of the month. The they old... probably did human sacrifices and stuff like that. A lot of. I can't what? wait to read you what the old English name was ah, for this, geez. though. Here we go. <laughs> the old English name for it was Solmanad, which is meant to be Mud Month. <laughs> Sol manad. I don't know how to. Let me Sol, solo, solomad. I, I don't know. Sol manad. That's probably something like sol manad. The reason why I laugh so much at that is because of Bill's song, yeah. the mud song. Yeah, I'm the mud man. <laughs> That's me. That's, there's not a lot of mud in February though. <laughs> You know? Well, February is usually a fairly frozen month. Uh, you know, the mud it, month. But, yeah. Anyway, yeah, these sorts of things just really excite me to just okay. look up different etymologies of words. But I had never thought about looking up how our calendar. I mean, I knew a little bit about our how our calendar came to be, but I never thought about all the previous calendars and all that. So right. So that'll give me. The, are we using the Gregorian calendar now, or are we using some other form of calendar? I thought we were in the Gregorian. But what do I know? I haven't researched it. Oh, I'm sorry. Anyway. Yeah. Well, so, further updates as they happen, ladies and gentlemen, on that whole calendaric. Uh, yeah, I, I was know, not planning to go into the as well, much detail about this little observation. I, I like I like your fascination with words. I like the fact that you're writing in the notebook and you're having. You know, more uh, self-referential observations and yada yada. I think one of the things about writing in a notebook is that it teaches you how your own head works. Yeah. And, you know, you start to notice patterns and stuff like that. Definitely uh, so. You know, every February there's a a deep trench in the biorhythmic, you know, because everything's dead. Everything's kind of black and kind of moldy. That's know. in your point of view. I, well, I, mean, I kind of enjoy all the... I, look, I, I like February. I mean, February is usually cold and comfortable and cozy and, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, we have the candles in the fireplace and, you know, we, we make it... And if it's going to be even live, more so now if, if that... If we live till February, you know, because... You know. But now we're going to have this beautiful... The yellows and oranges, and it's gonna be, it's gonna be a cozy place to hang out in the. What's well, already in the bleak winter. I know it is, but out. I'm saying we've never lived through this house, looking like this during a winter time oh, yet. Oh, right, right, yes. It'll be interesting to see what the quality of light is and how it works with our color scheme. Well, I even pointed out yesterday when some light was going on to the orange wall that some beautiful... Yeah, that was a nice moment there. Yeah, it was. It's gone forever now. (laughs) 
We'll never see it again. <laughs> Did you write about it? Because we need to remember. <laughs> well, in the the week's happenings, yes. we did make our way to the song circle. Yes, the whole West Seattle thing that we spoke of last week. It was a piece of cake. Steve just, Norris. Thank just, you, Steve Norris. Just I, needed that one little... We needed to, I, I needed to call Steve because he had actually sent me a map. I probably mentioned this last week with it tracing on it the route that we should take. But, you know, God bless him for that. But I had to call him up and say, okay, first of all, my eyesight is so bad I can't read this map without a magnifying glass. Give me the turn-by-turns. Because, you know, I used to be a school bus driver. Every route that we had, no matter what, it was turn-by-turn instructions. It was not go north on, you know, such yeah. and such. You know, it was, there was no maps involved. It was a list of you turn here, then you turn here, then you turn here. So he gave me those, and we went, and it was like pff, nothing to it. And it was a gorgeous day. Yeah, beautiful day. Warm, a little warmer than was absolutely comfy for old Billy Bob Jingle. Plus, I've been having this, this uh, radiculopathy here for the last month and a half, and that was kind of... Acting up that day. Yeah, and yeah. yeah. But um, I had not gone to any of these song circles because, and I was a little reluctant to go at the beginning yeah, because I, I always, like well, I sort of feel like it was your <laughs> thing. And, you know, but I was invited and I thought, it's a beautiful day. I would love to look at the. Totally fine. If I had any sense sea. of possession about it, you would have seen there would have been some face. There would have been some face. Yeah. So, but I had to test out the face. No, I know. You know, I over a couple. I understand. Of I understand. So. I appreciate that. I mean, I appreciate the check-in. I appreciate that you want to, you know, let me have my own territory and such like that. So. But it was a marvelous it was afternoon, it was and fun. one of the things that is really wonderful for me is that Jenny Riley was there, mm-hmm. and. I had spoken at one time when we actually played the song on the Bill and Diane show that Riley and Maloney, I think, were the first local performers that I had ever heard on the radio. Mm. And I don't even know that I knew that they, well, and they never were both local. It was just uh, Jenny was here, right? Right. And uh, David Maloney was living in San Francisco. That's what I seem to remember. Yeah. Is that right? I don't know. Anyway, um, facts on that. But they had a song on their first album that was played quite frequently on the radio station that I was listening to at the time, um, which was uh, "The Wild Man," that was written by Jenny, and and so I was able to tell her that you know how much I loved that song when I was in college, and it was it was just a real joy to be able to talk to her. Yeah, she's sweet. I really like her. And then she also uh, sang a couple of very unusual songs that I just really loved. Uh, One by Tom Dundee and the other one, I don't remember the name of the artist. I'm not sure that she did. Yeah. She sang a couple that she wasn't sure where they'd come from. But uh, yeah, it was a great time. Everybody was in good form and... You know, heard some good songs, got to play some songs. And Steve played The Only Magic I Know. Yeah. And I knew that when he looked over at me and said, I, I hope you'll help me out with this one, I knew what he meant, yeah. that it was going to be that. I love his version. I of do the too. Magic. I just think that's 
so cool. I am so flattered by that. I can't even. Yeah, that's good. It was a good, good time, and uh, had a good Tuesday night time. I, you know, I still feel like it's, you know, does me a world of good, and uh, hopefully it has positive effect on other people. Seems to anyway. If my mom, well, is, I, I my, really either that or my mom is sending out an unprecedented number of monthly checks to get these people to keep showing up. And I think people really, I know I really enjoyed the poetry of Margaret Atwood. Yeah, this one. yeah, that's, that's a whole different kind of uh, sensibility. It's really wonderful. I like her Actually, story. that is my first real experience with her writing. I did start to read A Handmaid's Tale when I was, uh, I don't know, in the 1980s. But yeah. it was just so distressing to me that I couldn't even continue um, reading it. Yes, that is the kind of way I am. Yeah, I don't, think, I don't think I've ever read anything by Margaret Atwood. You know, I've, read I, a, I've read a fair amount about her, but not any of her actual writing. And when I heard that she was a poet, I was like, oh, well, that could be interesting. And so I looked her up on, on the uh, Poetry Magazine site. And uh, yeah. Well, and after we saw the documentary... Um, yeah, she's been writing poetry all along. I thought it was fascinating that Margaret Atwood was even sort of saying that he she didn't even really like writing The Handmaid's Tale because it was, you know, it was sort of like, ugh. But for me, I, I have a hard time reading dystopian novels. Yeah. I always prefer the utopian um, because I, I kind of like having the... The ideas of how we could get better if we came up with these ideas rather than... Here's what's going to happen if we don't. (laughs) Yeah, and there's... I mean, apparently, I just read an article this this week about some new series on Netflix called... I think it was Squid 8 or something like that, that the, the person who was writing this article said that they, it was such a truly disturbing series that all the people that she knows, and she's a younger person, and all the younger people are watching this now, I guess. And she said, it's like it's traumatic, and that they're, they're all going through this trauma together. And I just thought, just reading that article, I thought, really? That's what people are watching. So that is how far away I am from dystopian uh, kind of things. I just feel like as soon as I see that it's some sort of, you know, survival of the fittest and everybody dies who isn't, you know, I I just say, no, not for me. And uh, I just don't like dystopian things. Right. But I always think about the utopian uh, book that, Aldous Huxley wrote did not <laughs> have as much readership as the dystopian novel that he wrote, which was Brave New World. But the utopian book that he wrote called Island was wonderful and actually educated me about the way I live my life in a lot of ways. So it had fantastic ideas about how a society could be run and the only other person I had ever met who had read this book was Kat and both of us were totally flabbergasted 
that both of us had read this book. <laughs> and really? You read it too? Oh, yes, I love that book, you know. Um, so there you go. The, the dystopian always wins out over the utopian. Maybe that's why we have such trouble in our society. Yeah, I think everybody's kind of, you know, I think the default position is, okay, what's the worst case scenario here? You know? Well, it could always go really, really bad. But I agree with you. So, I, and, you know, this is going to, this is speaking as a geezer, you know. It seems like all the new television shows are all about how screwed up people can get. And it's like, you know, how can one person be humiliated uh, to an unprecedented level, you know? And I just, that just doesn't, I mean, it's creepy. Well, and it's interesting that uh, we haven't really talked about this, but we just watched a program on Netflix that was suggested to us that was called The English Game. Yeah. And the thing that was notable to me about that, uh, it's semi-historical, very well filmed. I, I thought that the story was really wonderful. But the thing that I really loved about it was that people were working together in all sorts of interesting ways. Yeah, it was a kind of a story about barriers being broken down. Yeah. Not just societally, but between individuals. You know, you, yeah. you were watching people's minds change about something that they had a very firm position on. Yeah. You know, and it's the, the relationship of the one guy with his father, uh, the relationship of that same guy with his wife. After the they went through, and the and the Scottish guys and the English guys and the well, you know. and and people that at the first you thought, well, this is going to be the way this character yeah, is, exactly. and it wasn't the right. way that that character and was. They actually, and they actually changed their mind about things, and it you, was you were watching people growing, which yeah. is what I prefer. Yeah, it you was know, growing very uplifting in, in several places. Yeah. simply because there were these little these little breakthroughs, all, and it was kind of about that. Yeah. You know, it ultimately was about these breakthroughs. And I had not seen anything that kind of went after life uh, in examining those kinds of moments. And it was very hopeful. Hopeful. Yeah. Ultimately. And it's really worth watching. It's like six episodes or something. It's a, yeah. it's a limited series on Netflix. Written, it's beautiful. Written partly by Julian Fellows, who did Downton Abbey. So there's yeah. that element to it. But it's, but a it's hum, very it's a human beautifully story. done. Yeah. I thought it was beautifully. You really feel like you're watching that time, right. you know. And I, I say semi-historical because of apparently the as with many historical dramas, they that took some liberties. They took the liberties yeah. with facts for the story, and I feel like that I'm fine with that. Yeah. Never let but, facts get in the way of a good story. Exactly. Right. But, but very was, interesting. Yeah. I thought it was very well done. All to say, I All always prefer to to have the utopian and the the uplift rather than the downdraft. I just feel like, yeah, I don't I don't need to be reminded about how bad things can get because yeah. we've got a pretty good view <laughs> a lot of times right now. <laughs> so I feel like uh, that's an area of life that doesn't need a lot of. Reinforcing. Yes, I yeah. think that what needs to be reinforced is the positive, the positive alternatives, and how because you those could... are also available to us, pretty much at will. And one of the the things that I got from that book, Island, <clears throat> that I've never forgotten, is that 
uh, at the very beginning of the book, there's a journalist who's going to this island. And he's going to it because there's uh, the island is rich in petroleum and there's a big kerfuffle about whether they will be able to maintain their life. They've been cut off from the rest of the world in some way. But um, so he's, he wants to be at the beginning of the story. This is my memory of the, the book. But, but his, something goes wrong with the plane. It's a small plane. He, it goes down. He has to swim to shore. He has to climb up and, and he sees snakes. And, he's, and by the time he gets to the shore and is prone on the beach, he is absolutely um, exhausted and terrified, shaking from terror. Right. And there are these two children who come up to him. And in the background, the very first thing he hears when he awakes is a minor bird, although he doesn't know it at, at first that it's a minor bird, but he just hears this kind of rather metallic voice saying, attention, attention, you know, he's thinking, what the heck? He wakes up, he sees these two, or opens his eyes, sees these two children above his face looking at him very curiously and they ask him what happened to him. And he's, he tells them the story, but he's so upset that he's just like, oh, and they, he gets to the end of his story, and the children just look at him and say, you know what you need to do. Tell it again. And he's like, what? What are they? So he tells it again, and then they said, you know what to do. Tell it again. And so he had to tell it, and each time that he told the story over and over, he got calmer and calmer. And then when he finally tells them just in a, a series of linear um, scenarios that happened to him, the little girl says, but you made it to shore. And he said, yes, and, and the snakes didn't get you. Right. And then... All of a sudden, he's released from all of the the trauma, mm -hmm. but it was through telling the story from the worst place of the trauma and just telling it again and again and again. And so a lot of times in our society, people get very impatient with somebody telling a story again. And I have always noticed that with older people, you know, that younger people always get very, oh, you know, I've already heard this story a million times. I am not that way. I never have been that way. I always have felt like every time you hear the story, you get a slightly different view of it, mm -hmm. and you also get slightly more information. Yeah. That, you know, somebody will include something that they hadn't before. And so for me, as a person who thinks life is all about stories, I feel like it's almost like the, the equivalent of our storytelling traditions that get the the history you know that by telling it over and over and over again i think that's where that drive comes from and so i actually let like if somebody says i don't know if i've told you i'll always say well if you have told me tell me again because i i love hearing stories over and over and uh i've heard many of your stories many many times because you know, we'll be with friends, I'll hear the story, or you'll be performing, I'll hear the story. 
I love hearing it every single time. I just, that's my delight in the story, you know? Yes, I see. I understand. And speaking about thing, hearing things over and over again, we are going to listen to my traditional first uh, of October music, which is by Stanley Greenthal, Shoal Waters. And I have listened to this in the first, I always listen to this song in the first days of October because of the lovely imagery that it has. And that it talks about October and but I have loved this song for so so very long. Is this long. from his first album? Yeah, yeah. it's from Shoalwaters <laughs> and as you all know I, I'm quite a fan of Stanley Greenfalls and he is a local performer and Shoalwater just to let you know also features uh, Dale Russ on fiddle and Dale Russ is an amazing fiddle player. Right. He's he played, played with, with Mike Saunders. For years, right? He played with Mike Saunders. He was in the Suffering Gales for a while. He's played with lots of of famous people too in duet. I actually took a few classes for a while. I thought I would like to try to play it, and I took a couple of classes from him. But I just, uh, I'm just not meant to do an instrument this time around. It's just. I can't get it out of my head how far you have to go to get to the place that... But he is a amazingly kind and generous person, too. And the other people who are on this are um, Mark Minkler. Oh, I guess it's just uh, the other person who's on is Mark Minkler, who uh, plays whistles, piano, and synthesizer. And, and that uh, was kind of the... The he and Gary Haggerty are the the people who were with Stanley Greenthal on many performances, but but I also want to mention that the the lyrics of the song, which I do love so much, were worked on by Stanley and his wife Kip, and Kip has written a book that is called Shoal Waters. Oh, yeah. and it is now published. And I just thought this morning I had. I was waiting for it to come out, and then it came out, and I for, had forgotten to huh. look for it. So I'm going to order that book. It sounds like a marvelous plot, just my kind of a plot. Mm. And so I'm really looking forward to So I I advise you, it, it's on um, Amazon, but I'm, you know, I'm going to see whether I can buy it directly from her. But if you just want to read the plot, you can read about it on Amazon. I was thinking, wow, I just think that's so cool that that she has done this yeah. and looking forward to that. And the other the other piece is Arboretum Copanica. And it's an instrumental Stanley wrote inspired by Bulgarian folk dance music and weather in the Puget Sound region. So when he plays it, he's he's having you, he said, uh, imagine April, but I could say you can imagine October too. So I'm going to change it to imagine October in a wooded city park in Seattle, a few measures of sunlight between torrential downpours. Cool. <laughs> 
burning gold and silver from the leaning willow limb that rises and falls and far and wide driven from their harbor come the gray feathered wings to catch and You have 
umbrella.